So you all know my admiration for the former atheist C.S. Lewis. Uh, at one point uh, in his conversion journey, he actually uh, is reported to have said, rum thing, this myth about a dying God. Seems like it actually happened once. And I want to start there, partly because, well, the epistle reading kind of starts there, but, but more because this incident that we are celebrating, that we are commemorating today, the, the Annunciation, and by extension, the beginning of the Incarnation, uh, the, this is not, it's in some ways, it's not unique to Christianity. There are stories about you know, gods having interactions with generally beautiful young women, uh, and uh, like all over in the, in the mythologies, it's so much so that the Greeks had a category for the offspring of such things. They were the demigods, right? Um, but there's a significant difference, actually a really important significant difference, uh, in the story that we have in the Gospels because of where it is located in terms of the overall history of the Jewish people. The Jewish people uh, understood themselves to have been chosen by God all the way back to Abraham. And, you know, that's, that's fair enough that everybody, I'm, I'm sure all the ancient peoples like to think that they were chosen by God. But there was a difference again in this case. They had fairly specific stories about God and his revelation of himself to Abraham. But more than that, they had stories going all the way down through their history, connected to every single aspect and point of their history as a people. Their understanding of the God who chose Abraham was, not, was also not simply that he was one of many gods. No, the understanding was this was the creator God who spoke to Abraham and who said that he was choosing him and his people. And that this single, one true creator God then continued to intervene in the history of his people down through the ages in many different ways. You know, often they were miraculous ways where he manifested himself and drove off their enemies. Uh, other times it was miraculous ways in which he provided for them, like the ascending of the manna. Um, but other times it was actually more ordinary ways, like the giving of the law. The Israelites understood the law which, by which they lived their daily lives to have been a gift from God himself. And that God did not abandon them. That he kept, he kept interfering. Not in the kind of, if you look at the ancient Greek myths uh, or the other mythologies, it's often that the inter interference of the gods in human uh, endeavors is often very capricious. It's like, oh, I'm getting annoyed or, oh, there's a beautiful young woman or what, you know, whatever. It's like just the whim of the gods that is, and you're kind of at the mercy of that. The thing about the God whom the Israelites worshipped was that he was consistent. He was the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. When he reveals himself to Moses, he reveals himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a consistency there. He reveals himself also, when Moses asks for his name, as the I Am, the ever-existing one, the eternal God. This is the God whom the Israelites worshipped and adored. And this God was concerned for their well-being. That's why he gave them the law. That's why he encouraged them to obey the law. Because if you obey the law that I give you, you will be blessed. And if you don't, you will be accursed. Not, again, because he's some sort of whimsical, capricious God who gets mad, but because the nature of the law that he was revealing to them was that this was something that was good for them. And that if they embraced it and they took it and made it their way of life, then they, they, would, be, they, they would naturally be blessed. And he would also be pleased and we would bless, look after them and bless them. But, but that it, this is something that's good for them. And so we actually have in Mary the culmination of all of this work of God in the lives of his people Israel. And you have here a woman who's, you know, she may well have been and probably was very beautiful, but her beauty is not mentioned once because it's not relevant. What is assumed, what does seem to be in there, is that she was a holy person, a good person, somebody who obeyed the law. When the angel says to her, that she is going to be, be to uh, bear a child, conceive in her womb this this, this Messiah. Her natural act question is, how can this be? I've never known a man. She knows the basic facts of biology, and she is obeying the law. She is in obedience to God's law, and so when. And then we come to the other huge and significant difference in these stories. First of all, the first huge and significant difference is that these stories are historical. This is true history. These things actually happened. The Greeks and the other uh, pagan societies might have had some sense that some of these things happened but they weren't that concerned with establishing them exactly how, how, it, how it took place. Because, you know, there was this story about Zeus in that corner of the world and this story about Zeus in the other corner of the world, and they didn't exactly reconcile or, or, or fit together, but, you know, that, that's maybe a problem for the poets. Uh, Ovid in his Metamorphoses or, or, or Homer in his, in his Iliad and his Odyssey. Uh, but, but, they, they weren't that concerned. The Israelites, on the other hand, were concerned. This was their history. This was the history of their interaction with God. And so this rum thing about a dying God is not merely that the death happened, but that he became one of us, that he entered into history as one of us. But the other thing that's significant here 
is the manner in which it happened. Again, we have lots of stories of this. As I say, Zeus in particular was well known for his eye for beautiful young women. It's like, ah, there, I'm going to go for her. Uh, and generally speaking, the beautiful young women were, didn't have a whole lot of choice in the matter. Uh, here, Mary is given a choice. And this, again, gets to the heart of who God is. God is not only consistent, we can not only count on him to look after us within this historical reality which, within which we live, but he is also good. He has given us the gift of free will, which he respects to the point of actually allowing us to choose evil, to choose things other than him. And so when the Annunciation happens, Mary is given a choice. And everything hinges on that choice. And she chooses to accept this amazing gift. Knowing that as far as, as, far as her relationship with everybody else in her family, her extended family, in her people, this is going to impact all of that. Because either people will accept that God has intervened in this case and that she has not, she has not you know, um, been uh, uh, um, broken the law of God, that she has maintained her virginal purity, or more likely for most people, they won't accept it. And they will just simply dismiss her as somebody who is, well, yeah, you know, her, she, she broke the law of God. And, you know, and, and, and yet, even with that knowledge, she says, behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, let it be to me as you have said. She makes the choice. And she, by making this choice, becomes the new Eve. In the Jewish understanding, in the Old Testament, Eve, of course, was the mother of us all. We actually have no choice in that. Uh, uh, and she chose poorly. And her poor choice, her self-centered choice, has, along with our forefather Adam's self, equally self-centered choice, uh, has led to this condition that we find ourselves in, this brokenness, this, this tendency to choose the, the evil rather than the good. But Mary, by embracing this choice, becomes the new Eve, the mother of all who become the brothers and sisters of her son, our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ, through adoption. And as our spiritual mother, we are connecting with her choice rather than Eve's choice. The choice to obey the law of God. The choice to embrace it as good. The choice to recognize that God is at work in our lives, in our history. And that as we embrace that, understanding in faith, 
that he is good and that he is working in all these things for our good, then we too can put the free will that he has given us to its proper use. To exercise it in obedience, in humility, in love. And to, like Mary, manifest Christ in this world to all of those around us. We won't always be understood as we make this choice. Very often our motives will be considered suspect by those outside. Why are you doing this? What, 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 do, you want to, what do you want to get out of this? But that's okay. Our judge is God. He is the one to whom we are entrusting ourselves. He is the one whom we adore and worship and wish to obey uh, with our entire bodies, with our whole lives. We want to be like Mary, that we may be like her to the glory of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever into ages of ages.